I have three rules investing. The first is that hard asset. It has to be something tangible, something that you uh, you can understand and something that produces. Second thing is it's got to produce income, which is cash flow. Uh, you know, you're trying to build that cash flow and that that passive income up so that you can surpass your expenses. I mean, you you can probably do it faster with appreciation based investing, but it's riskier. And uh, you know, time and freedom are the two most important things. And then the the last thing is the reason why you know there's a lot of different hard assets out there, ATM machines, coconuts, and whatever out there. But like real estate, the reason we do it with real estate, and, and I think why you've picked the United States is how good the lending is. You know, it's leverageable. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S. podcast. From Los Angeles, I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, as you know, it is my job to explore, dissect, and interview the cream of the crop when it comes to real estate investing, business, and entrepreneurship here in the United States, so you can all make the right investing decisions to create massive amounts of cash flow, which will lead to financial freedom and hopefully long-term wealth. As you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, but knowledge without action means that you're just a fence sitter. So be educated first and foremost, but you also got to go out and take massive amounts of action. And hopefully the cracking guests on my show will inspire you to do it, get up off the couch and take some, some action. If you do like the show, please give us a review on iTunes and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching Reed Goosens. You can find this show wherever your podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Google Play, but we're also now up on my YouTube channel. You can head over to my website at reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, it'll take you right to the recordings of this podcast. You can see my ugly mug, but you can also see the incredible faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me, let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with side hustle king, Lane Kawaaka. By day, Lane is a licensed civil engineer and by night, he is a serial real estate entrepreneur. Aside from his day job, Lane is a co-founder and co-owner of MPFE Investments, which invests in class B and C value add apartment buildings. And he's the manager of Simple Passive Cashflow. Uh, he's also the host of his own cracking podcast, which is called Simple Passive Cashflow Podcasts. And all those links will be on my show notes. So please head over to my website at reedgoosens.com. But enough out of me. Let's get him out of here. G'day, Lane. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Hey, it's going good, Reed. How's it going? Good, mate. Good. Where are you dialing in from? I'm calling in from Honolulu, Hawaii, my new home. Nice, 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 nice. Um, before we dive into the nuts and bolts of today's show, I'm really awesome to have you on the show. I know you are crushing it with your side hustle. Can we rewind the, rewind the clock, I should say, uh, back to that when you made your first dollar? And I'm not talking about the first real estate dollar. I'm talking about the first ever job you had as a kid um, and, and how it, you know, it inspired you to become an entrepreneur that you are today. First job was uh, early in high school. I picked pineapple in Maui uh, that made like seven bucks an hour. And that job would like really, really sucked. It was like hard work. And I swore to myself I would never work that hard again. 
I mean, four hours before lunchtime, it was exhausting. And I think he made about 40, 50 bucks an hour, 40, 50 bucks a day. <laughs> this was yeah. this was back in summer in the summer when you're in uh, summer holidays right and that and you know it's kind of the stuff that you hear that your grandparents do but you know i mean every job after that's been easier nice nice man well dude tell us a little bit more about your journey uh to where you are today i know you still have your day job which is which is incredible you're you're an engineer i'm a formal engineer uh so i know we come from the same uh stable uh but now you're actively investing in real estate you've got your own podcast you created a great platform which i checked out earlier uh the simple passive cash flow Dot com. Tell us more about what inspired you to get off your backside and go and, you know, take action and, and become, you know, work towards becoming your own boss. I think uh, my first job out of uh, engineering school, I went to work for, uh, you know, one of those companies that it's 24-7 in the transportation department, in, in transportation industry. And, you know, it's very low quality of life. Uh, people put everything to the job, stayed forever. And, and morale was just pretty poor and um just kind of treated pretty poorly as an employee um you know even as you know i had an industrial engineering degree at the time and you know just just treated just like a dog out there (laughs) you know not able to go home for long periods of time uh 10 days on four days off initial one time and um then i realized that you know if i i needed to do something else I, i couldn't this was not sustainable right i mean Everybody else around me just was getting cancer, getting divorces, and they're just pretty honorary people. And I just didn't want to be like that. And so did you then, how did you stumble into real estate? Was it just purely through uh, wanting to create uh, that, that, that freedom in your life to, to be able to do whatever you want, whenever you wanted with, with whoever you wanted? And, and, and if so, did, was there any particular, you know, that, that, that aha moment that you're like, hang on, we should get involved in real estate? Yeah, so I, I followed that linear path of go to school, get a good job, save the money to get a primary residence to live in. Mm-hmm. Uh, followed that, did that pretty aggressively um, in three years, saved up 80 grand to buy a home. And since this job took me all over the country and away from home 100% of the time, I was only home like one day out of the week and it was pretty dumb for me to live there. So then I just rented it out and I was like, whoa, we're like... I was bringing in like 2200 bucks. The mortgage was 1600 And there was that delta between the two. And I was like, whoa, this is easy, easy beer money, right? So <laughs> I was like, I got to keep doing this again and again and again. And then, and then yeah, then, then I ran into these bosses that, you know, didn't treat me right. And I was like, screw that guy. If I just get a couple more of these things, I'm going to be making way more money than these suckers. Love it. I love that. I love that attitude of just like being the daily grind and being that groundhog day, you know, continually going up every day and just that, I know the feeling like you're just like, I do not want to be sitting in this cubicle, just listening to this boss, just like boss me around. And it's the same thing as what, what I got me involved in, in real estate investing. But tell me a little bit more about that first house that you purchased where was it uh what you you bought it for a primary residence but you just stumbled into naturally oh hang on i can rent it out and i can make a little bit of a delta and then that will you know maybe as you said support your, your beer drinking habits <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i um it was an a-class rental in seattle washington this is probably about 2009 um 
yeah, it was just, it was a really nice house. And, and uh, since then I haven't gotten to live in, I, I've been putting all my money into investing for, uh, for the freedom, exactly what you, you mentioned. And yeah, then it was, um, you know, people that live in that home are computer programmers now and, you know, much, they make like 200 grand, you know, cause I used to look at their, their financial profiles and, um, yeah, just, it just didn't make sense, uh, from a rent to value standpoint. I mean, I, I bought another one in Seattle later on a duplex, um, went to a B plus class, but then, uh, 2012 and, and as the market appreciated, I wasn't able to cash flow anymore. And then I made this transition from the two properties into Seattle for, for almost a dozen properties out of state in Birmingham, Atlanta, and Indianapolis. Wow. So did you get, before we move on to the, the, the transitioning out of a, a, an A-class or a tier one uh, city, did you, uh, did you make any appreciation on these, on these two properties that you bought in Seattle? And if so, were you able to 1031 exchange them into uh, um, the properties interstate? Yeah, initially I did. I did two 1031 simultaneously that overlapped a little bit and that was pretty crazy buying the properties. Um, I mean, I'm going into multifamily syndication these days and I kind of regret doing a 1031. I, I do not think 1031 is what it cracked, cracked up to be. Hmm. Interesting. Why do you say that? Well, I mean, as, as you know, like once you get to a certain point and you start to scale, the single family homes aren't very, very scalable and you can't, and at some point you're better off going into a syndication. Yeah. You're not making as much uh, because you know, I mean, it's, you're going in as a passive investor, but it's, infinitely scalable and you can put 50 grand, 50 grand, 50 grand, 50 grand to all these investments and get diversification that way. But you can't 1031 into an LLC, which these syndications are held. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, at some point you're going to have to make the transition or everybody will at some point, once you amass a few, even a, a million or $2 million, it's probably the transition point to, you know, stop doing this on your own and, and teaming up with others. And that 1031, I mean, now I'm trying to uh, figure out how to unload my, my, my uh, 10 properties. To, to, to get involved more in the syndication stuff, right? Right. Interesting, interesting. So now let's talk about your, your transition out of your, your tier one uh, coastal city into the interior, the Midwest. And for all those listeners out there, you know, explain to why, to those listeners who are listening and saying, why would you have moved your, your, your investment portfolio from Seattle to um, Indianapolis, and you mentioned one other. Was it uh, Memphis? Is that where you, you purchased as well? Uh, Birmingham, Birmingham, Atlanta, Birmingham, Atlanta, Indianapolis were the markets that I chose. And, and why did you choose those markets? I mean, I think there's a there's a dozen markets out there that everybody has been going to: Memphis, Kansas City, uh, Jacksonville, to name a few others. Um, they're all secondary markets, or I guess you'd call them tier twos, and they have robust economies. You know different manufacturing, good white collar jobs, good uh, service jobs, all, all kinds of things, you know, as opposed to, you know, like Detroit's a poster child for a secondary market, but that's not a robust economy or it wasn't. Right. Which right, is right. the auto industry. So you're looking for secondary markets where they had solid or more moderate cap rates, right? Where you could cash flow and the numbers made more sense. Right, right. I quickly realized, you know, devouring podcasts and books that 
hey, there's this, there's this fundamental um, difference between some investors. Some are appreciation-based, which is probably the normal, the normal unsophisticated investor out there. And there's these cash flow investors out there. And um, I, I believe in this like sort of pyramid of, you know, as a newer investor, you go after cash flow because cash flow gives you the freedom to do what you want. And until you amass a few thousand dollars of cash flow and you're not living in that scarcity mindset, then you can go after other things like fix and flips and more appreciation based markets. But the cash flow has got to come first. Mate, I, I love exactly what you just said there. You, you and I definitely think alike. I've, I've got this diagram that I, I show a couple of times at presentations and it's the investment portfolio diagram. And on the, and I've cut it like, like a food triangle, right? And the, the bottom third, uh, the, 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 the bottom most of the foundation is cash flow. The, the one up, uh, as risk goes up the, the, the food, the triangle, um, you know, you can do flipping or you can do, you know, the top one, which maybe be like ground up construction. Uh, and, and I always say to investors, if you're, if you're time poor, but you have some cash, like, like exactly what you do with your passive investing website, educating working professionals, you need to be shoving as much money as you can into those, that passive income uh, foundation. So you can then, as you said, create, you know, don't have that scarcity mindset and you can go and do a couple of flips. Um, you can do some maybe more higher risk deals um, as, as you start breaking out of, out of your day job. Mate, tell me a little bit more about this, you know, what you're trying. You've created this incredible platform. Uh, I was taking a look at it um, over at the Passive Investing um, your website. What, how did it come about? Why did you why did you want to become sort of a thought leader uh, in your in your space to to help other working professionals get out of the rat race and you know you know buy investing uh, investments that that uh, cash flow well? Well, I think I started off you know get going into these secondary markets. You see a lot of these turnkey providers out there, and then uh, you also run into the turnkey marketers who feed referrals into the marketers. And I was like, like the the, the content out there. It's, it's good. It's just like, like, um, I mean, I thought I could do it better. Right. And I was like, well, I mean, a lot of people are asking me how to do this and I'm like, well, let me make a podcast and blog. Right. Like, and then that was probably about 18 months ago and I've just been kind of building it up, talking about what I do and the, the trials and tribulations. I mean, I just had like a $9,000 uh, flooding in my Georgia property and you know, I kind of go through the steps of working with insurance and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know. I mean, I, I think one day I've always been, I've always had this vendetta against the stock market and how it keeps, you know, good working people, you know, working hard all day. You know, if they just got a few rental properties, you know, a young couple could, you know, not, not be sending their kid to daycare when one parent could be staying at home half time or eventually both of them can quit in their forties, you know, if you do this right. Right. And it's not, not like, you know, buying something and appreciating, you're just building on your cash flow, you're just building it prudently. Yep. No, that's, that's incredible. And I think it goes back to changing that mindset and, and, and good on you for, for taking that initiative because you saw that there was a need to maybe present data better. Um, and for all those listeners out there that, that, are, that are taking notes, note that Lane saw a need that to, to provide better quality information for his you know, uh, sphere. And, and so you went out and did it, right? You just, you just got off your ass and, and did it. You didn't 
uh, you've obviously had some experience in investing, but through that little bit of experience, you're able to see what, what your investors needed or what people in your sphere would wanted from to hear from you. And you just went out and created a platform like your website. So well done. I think that's uh, it takes a lot of initiative, um, but it also the fact that you backed yourself and, and went and did it also just shows, you know, how uh, much of a, you know, you're focused on, on making this a full-time thing and a long-term thing. So, so well done. Um, Talk to me about how, you know, you like to best use your money to invest uh, in certain things. You, you briefly touched on your vendetta against the stock market. Why do you think, in your mind, investing in hard assets is better than investing, say, in the stock market? Well, if you have a hard asset, I have three rules investing. The first is that hard asset. It has to be something tangible, something that you, uh, you can understand and something that produces. Second thing is it's got to produce income, which is cash flow. Uh, you know, you're trying to build that cash flow and that that passive income up so that you can surpass your expenses. Uh, I mean, you you can probably do it faster with appreciation-based investing, but it's riskier. And uh, you know, time and freedom are the two most important things. And then the the last thing is the reason why you know there's a lot of different hard assets out there, ATM machines, coconuts, and whatever out there. But like real estate, the reason we do it with real estate and, and I think why you've picked the United States is how good the lending is, you know, it's leverageable. Right. And that's the third component. No, I, I completely agree. And I think, you know, there's, there's no other investment class out there that I know that you can you know, benefit on the four um, different ways of creating money uh, in, in real estate, which is, you know, cash flow, amortization, you know, appreciation and the depreciation aspect of it, which is the taxable, um, reducing your tax liability through the, the, the dividends you get from or the cash flow you get from your property. So, you know, investing in a stock market, the, the dividends you get, you have to pay tax on that because it's not a hard asset. You can't depreciate that, that particular investment and, and thus, um, you know, you're, you're still paying, you know, whatever you're paying to the government and, and Uncle Sam has his, uh, his handout, right? So, uh, <laughs> but, um, but, but tell me about the passive income streams and, and uh, rever- uh, you know, reversing the pyramid of traditional investing and what we just touched on before. Um, to focus on that cash flowing uh, foundation to then move into higher, uh, riskier uh, investments. And, and, and do you think that everyone should be using the same model uh, as we described? Yeah, so, I mean, when you first got started investing, I think all of us were taught, uh, you know, go to the 401k, go to the stock market so that you can, um, you know, go to like Vanguard 500, you know, go to the stocks, right? Don't worry about these bonds. You have, uh, you know, you got 30, 40 years for it to grow. And, and that's the more aggressive or riskier stocks, but higher potential. And I, I, I you know, talk about that pyramid again. I, I think it's totally opposite the way of investing. You need to be building that base of cash flow. I mean, in the stock market, that'd be like building that base of dividend stocks. That right. needs to come first. So once you get a few thousand dollars or maybe a quarter to half of your living expenses, at that point, uh, you've probably gained the experience to go after little uh, riskier investments. Uh, like you said, fix and flips and um, maybe commercial at that point. And then I, I think at the top of that pyramid is you've got things like speculative investing, like uh, maybe hotels or land investing. And I think what people don't realize is They'll see, you know, you or I go after, you know, we'll play around with low development here and there, but like, and they think, and they also see like very rich people going after, you know, they'll just sit on land 
and play the land right. banking game right. or doing uh, parking or notes. And it's like, no, like that's, um, that's what they're doing. You don't see the, the steps they took to get to that place. Or if it was family money, maybe they, they don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I mean, I've always said, Hey man, like if pick your mentors, well, I mean, if someone has been doing this and there's like 60, 70 years old, maybe that's not the best way to, to be doing. Cause I mean, I'm sure you, you realize that if you've been doing this for a decade or two, surely you're like, you should be out of the game. You should be like kind of putting in autopilot mode. Right. Like, right. Right. But, but in saying that you also should, when you're starting out, as you're saying, choosing the right investment strategy for you. And I think a lot of people, when they first start out investing, they get that scatterbrained mind, right? It's like, Oh, I could do notes or I could do flipping or I could do wholesaling or I could do this. or I could do that. What advice do you have to those people out there who maybe, you know, trying to get off the fence uh, and look at their, their, their personal situation to then align themselves with the types of investing that would suit them the best. Yeah. So first step is the, uh, figure out there's three components, time, money, and knowledge or network. You need to figure out what do you have? So like, I mean, you and I are probably this, the, um, probably fell in the same category when we first graduated college, went to work and we had, we had some money, right? We didn't have very much time and we didn't have very much knowledge. So the passive investing for a lot of people like that and the working professional falls in that category. Um, you know, just buy, buy and hold investments and build up your knowledge and your network and uh, find the next thing. And that's, that's the way to start. So for some people that don't have any money, but they've got a hell of a lot of time, the wholesaling and maybe working for a flipper, getting some knowledge that way, that's another avenue. Right. I mean, I don't, I don't claim to know very much about wholesaling or flipping. I just don't do it. That's just not what, what my attributes is best for. I mean, I oh. have, I've got a little bit of money. I got no time <laughs> and um, I'm, my knowledge base is growing. So uh, that's why I'm, I'm able to go into these different projects. That's great. And, and I think that's uh, so true about the, the time, money network or time, money knowledge, because we all have our own attributes and, and, you know, as you soon realize, and I say a lot on this show is that real estate investing is a team sport, regardless of, you know, if you, you everyone starts out thinking they've got to control it all, right? I'd rather have a little piece of a lot than a lot of nothing, <laughs> you know? So it's about, you know, teaming up with the right people, you know, using yourself as, as a thought leader, educating yourself and then maybe seeing, well, maybe I don't have the time. I got to then put my money with someone who does have the time to go out, who, who is actively buying stuff and I can get a dividend from that. And it's, you know, I get all the benefits of real estate investing, but I don't have the, you know, the, the, the stress of going and finding the deal and operating the deal and, and overseeing the day to day. So I think those three keys are, are really, really important. Mate, I, I noticed in your bio, uh, talk to me about how you went from 11 units to 434 in, in one year. What, what's that all about? So that's, um, that's a lot of just partnering on these deals, on these larger multifamilies. Um, me and my partner, we just started going out, um, adding value to uh, different multifamily leads and um, just signing on the debt on these properties and um, building up our resume slowly uh i i don't know if a lot of you talk about it on your uh your podcast but there's uh there's a big thing about getting experience in the eyes of fannie mae and freddie mac to get these non-recourse loans and um it's something that not a lot of real estate investors know about this uh component of you know being the key principal 
or the person signing on the debt for some of these larger deals. I mean, there's different levels. There's, you know, the 100 unit, 200 unit, 300 unit level. I kind of see it as like first one star, second two star, three star general. Uh, if you can get on the management team and, and you get that you get that gold star or the fanny card or for some people call it, <laughs> uh, you, you can go out and lead your own deal. And that adds value. It's all about adding value to a partnership team, which is what kind of why I like uh, multifamily uh, syndication or any syndication because it's more about working with each other and it's not not really competitive like the flip ticks and flippers I mean that's the very scarcity mindset industry I mean for all we you know you and I could just work on the next deal 100% right uh, I'm sure I'll be hitting you up <laughs> yeah. but, but that but that's so true and and you do strike a really good chord in terms of the thinking that abundance mindset and and how do you scale and, and, and leverage, you know, when a deal is smaller, there's less of the pie to go around. Um, so there's, um, you know, people that tend to not be as forthcoming or sharing with the pie. Uh, however, like you have experienced and like what I do, I syndicate, um, is that there's so much more of the pie to go around if you have a hundred or 200 or 300 units, right? So you can share the profits, you can share the cash flow, you can share the, all the benefits of owning real estate with a lot more people. A lot more people can can then get their money working for them, uh, and you're creating that sort of um, again abundance mindset to to go out and do more deals. And again, owning a little bit of a lot compared to earning a lot of nothing. Um, but that's pretty awesome. So, whereabouts are you, well, these units that you purchased? Four hundred thirty-four uh, in the in the US. So a lot of it is centered around Texas and that that's central South area. Um, but I mean, if you draw a smiley face along the United States from Phoenix to New Mexico, to Texas, to uh, Georgia, up to the Carolinas, I mean, that's where all the population growth and it, it all comes down to jobs. I mean, that's where the manufacturing jobs, the blue collar working for force of this industry uh, or this country is. And that's, that's what drives an emerging market. I love it. I love it, man. And, and, and what did you just stumble into that sort of, you know, you've just gone from owning a bunch of single family houses into multifamily syndication. That's not an easy step. How did you do it? And, and did you part, you, you talk a little bit about, you said, you mentioned your partner earlier. Are there any other partners involved to help you scale to 434 units? Uh, I joined the apartment mentoring group. I mean, from the way I see it, there's really no other way of uh, getting into it other than you just poning up, paying the entrance fee, and and then uh, finding yourself in a room full of people who are actually doing it. Nice. I mean, you can you can skate around the edges and you know kind of talk to your local person, but I mean, most likely you're in a high price area. Nothing out there is cash flowing, and nobody's doing it, and nobody's doing. I think I think a lot of people may be doing heavy value add multifamily apartments, but to get the non-recourse lending, you need a stabilized property, which is ninety percent and occupied or more, and you're not getting any discounts on that. And you know, if you're buying those in Los Angeles or Seattle, you're I don't know how they're making money. <laughs> it's just institutional. <laughs> yeah, it is institutional. It is institutional, but they may be going in for for a redevelopment play, or they they're just you know a big large family office and a a four percent cash on cash return sounds fantastic. So <laughs> there's there's different right. ways. Um, but talk to me a little bit more about Freddie and Fanny. You've mentioned that a few times here. Uh, the agency debt. Why is that better for multifamily? Then going out and getting a maybe a bridge bridge loan or just going to the local bank. Yeah, so I mean, I think everybody knows, you know, those 
those uh, semi-government entities, uh, they, they lend on single-family homes. That's where I got started and what most people are familiar. Uh, you know, right now, you can get up to 10 in your name. So a lot of people do is they get 10 in their name, 10 in their spouse's name, and get single families. But then sort of what made me move to multifamily is you know, I realized that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, they also want to lend on these larger properties, uh, $1 million loans and up. And, and it's because the government wants to stimulate uh, and put stimulus into these areas because the country needs workforce housing. They need class B and class C housing. So how do they do that? Well, they give money to uh, Freddie and Fannie to give it to investors like us, and they further stimulate it by making it non-recourse. So if anything happens with the property, none of the people joining the syndication are liable for any kind of cash call. I mean, of course there's bad boy carve outs, but it, it, it's the, the golden, uh, it's the golden ticket. I mean, the Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac loans for single family, that's still recourse. They can still come after you, right. but these larger buildings, you can't, which, which initially made really no sense to me. Cause <laughs> it was like, why are the best loans with the best interest rates and best terms going to the rich, uh, syndicators and investors but then i mean that's what the government needs like, that's what the country needs more of this kind of housing and it's, right. Good. it's good right 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 but it's also the fact that you know the the downside or the risk to the lender that if you buy a hundred unit property all a hundred tenants move out at once and you know the property is a hundred percent vacant it can't hit the debt service ratio or the, or the, or the break-even occupancy uh the risk of that is a lot, lot lower compared to a single family or a duplex where if in a single family, a tenant moves out, you're 100% vacant, who's paying the, uh, the debt? Uh, essentially, you are. And that's why, you know, sorry, you are the, the borrower and hence why it's recourse. So there's different ways if, if listeners are out there wanting to understand the difference between recourse and non-recourse. But it's, uh, you're right, it's very, very interesting. And it's, it's, a, it's a model that you mentioned earlier in the show, um, why people like to invest in the United States is because of the access to these type of large amortized over 30, 25 to 30 years, non-recourse, very low debt. Um, that just makes it just incredibly attractive to pe particularly people like myself who come from a different country where lending isn't like that. Um, so it, it is, it is very, very, very interesting. Um, so talk to me about where you're headed. Like what's the future for Lane? Uh, what's the future for your company? And, 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 you know, for now, for the end of 2017 and, and beyond. I think just keep keep adding units. Then, <laughs> um, I mean, I'm not to that point where I'm a Ken McEnroy or one of these big big names. Um, give back as much profits to investors and um, just keep growing the investor database and keep doing good deals and um, eventually get to a point where I can create some kind of investor network at home in Hawaii where I grew up to uh you know get people out of the stock market right just get them to get that first uh hard asset that's leverageable that gives cash flow so that it gives them the freedom to leave their jobs too or yeah. i mean they don't have to leave their jobs just uh you know to live a little bit more abundance mindset life right no i i, I completely agree with you there have you stumbled across any investment opportunities in hawaii a maybe a little bit more outside the bubble of what you've been looking at some more development plays um, because, you know, given your civil engineering background, hope, you know, I, I assume that you've got a little bit more knowledge about certain aspects of real estate ground up construction than the average investor, right? 
Yeah, I mean, here it's in Hawaii, it's very similar to San Francisco and Los Angeles. Right. Like, rental value ratios don't really make sense. Uh, uh, yeah, it's very stable market. Uh, always, it's always probably going to appreciate because it's paradise, right? But <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I recognize that I'm a cash flow investor and I'm perfectly fine hitting singles, right? It's for me, it's not worth the stress. I mean, simple passive cash flow is circled around cash flow and keeping things simple and passive. So if I'm fine uh, just making, bringing in the runs with singles and doubles, I mean, I don't really see the need to go and do any development around here or do something that, that that's outside of my realm of, uh, of expertise. I mean, no, like, yeah. If you want to do something like that, I'm not the guy. I'm sorry. <laughs> not saying that might change, but for now. Hey man, you know, you're a civil engineer. You definitely know a lot more than the average Joe about, uh, about real estate development or, or just in terms of cost of what things, you know, uh, what things cost, uh, in the industry. So, cause you, you said you were in transportation. So, so it, it's awesome to bring skill set like what you have, um, whether, you know, managing offices, being a project manager, managing budgets, you know, understanding how to read drawings, all that sort of stuff, you know, is very, very powerful compared to the average investor who's never foot, set foot on a site, never dealt with a contractor in their life. And, and I know that the future is only positive for you because you have that background in civil engineering. So, um, so, so well done. Right. Yeah. I, I do a lot of, I've been a capital improvement um, project manager for the last six years. And I mean, I work with contractors all day, you know, you know, dealing with their BS. And I mean, that's why they call them contractors for reason. Um, but, I mean, I, I, I know all the nuances and working contracts and building specs and, and facilitating it through construction. But like, I, I'm the very guy who doesn't want to do flipping because I know it's like, that's like ridiculous. And like, I see these people who uh, program computers or accounting and they want to flip houses. I'm like, geez, like what, <laughs> what are you getting yourself into, buddy? You know, hey, if you want to do this, why don't you come and work my day job, man? <laughs> <laughs> but it's no you're right you're completely correct and and, and all these people out there sort of you know, teaching them oh, it's so easy it's this this and that and you slap up some paint and you're done no it's not as easy as that and and flipping houses is, is a lot of work it's a full-time job um and, and i'm going to say that you know passive income investing uh where you're the lead uh investor isn't really passive and, and no matter what you do um, you know, yes, you can invest passively in, in other syndications and you can get a nice dividend. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, you still want to take that lead and, and scale your business and grow and get, grow your net worth. So, um, so that's, that's pretty incredible. Uh, Lane, I want to, you know, round out the show with uh, you giving me your top five investing tips. Ready to drive into it? Sure. All right. What is the daily habit that you practice to keep on track towards your goals? I, um, I use, I read the, this book, Getting Things Done by David Allen, mm -hmm. and I've kind of kept my Gmail um, with the different labels, like projects that I'll do when I get home from work, uh, projects when I have a little more time, uh, another label for waiting for, uh, you know, when I tell someone to do something and I'm just waiting back for it, um, different labeling systems, great book, um, yeah, and just trying to get things done, right, because uh, that's the daily grind. No, I, I love it's it. Something bigger. I love it. And it's just, uh, I'm a huge fan of getting those small, 
daily goals done that will lead towards the bigger goal, right? And breaking it down into its pieces. So you like, you think, oh, how am I going to get my first deal done? That's so, sounds so intense and so overwhelming. But if you break it down into daily pieces, you can, you can be surprised at how far you get within a month. Uh, Lane, who is the most influential person in your career to date? I don't have one person in general. I mean, I've just listened to a whole lot of podcasts and it's a Frankenstein of everybody. Just a bunch of data points. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. It's your engineering mindset, right? You got to, you bring in all the knowledge from everywhere else and then you digest it and then you become your own, uh, you know, lead or key person of influence. So I love it. I love it. And go out and take some action. Uh, mate, who, what is the most influential tool in your real estate business? I'm sure you have one that helps you with your, with the day, with the day to day. Uh, I use Calendly. It's a tool so you can schedule phone calls or like, I think we used it to schedule this, the podcast recording. Yep. Um, I mean, if you're still, I mean, I think I heard it takes like eight emails to, to get a an appointment it is usually how many emails corresponds it takes and in this day and age it's like dude like we don't even have time to talk to each other how can we have time to arrange a meeting and you know when i mean it's always pe- people always come first at the end of the day whether it's at your day job or real estate investing and i mean that's trying to remove the resistance to get this uh, talking or face-to-face conversations is probably the, one of the most important things. So that's one tool that helps remove the noise. Oh, 100%. I love that that tool, the Calendly. It's great. And you know, as you said, we, we did it to uh, to organize this podcast and did it really quickly. <laughs> this morning when I saw yeah. my email, the email in my inbox, I was like, oh gosh, got an e- Lane wants to get on the show. <laughs> Better get <laughs> you thought you had your break or something. <laughs> <laughs> I need to change it to no more than 24 hours before a show. <laughs> but that's me. No, it's yeah, great. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to um, note to self 24 hours in advance. No, yeah. <laughs> no bookings. Um, mate, what's been the biggest <laughs> failure in your career to date and, and what have you learned from that failure i um i lost twenty five thousand dollars in a roth ira investment where i went and went the sky it was a deal that was a little bit too good to be true um i i got promised nine percent and 50 50 of the returns but it wasn't a syndication or anything like that it was just it was some strange no. I still don't know what it is. I still don't know. <laughs> so like the takeaway and and my business partner, he lost fifty grand too, kind of doing the same things. The the common thing is not knowing who you're working with, and right. you know you always work with people you know, like and trust. No, hundred percent. So many good people in real estate that you just need to find the good ones, and once you find one, you'll find your way into the web of the good ones. No, that's, that's such good advice. Finding your way into the web, I think that's really, really important. And, and you know, you know, like, and trust. I think there's, uh, those are three really important things you just mentioned there because one, you've got to know them. You've got to get to know someone. No one, if anyone's running towards me and says, Reed, here's my money to invest in your next deal. I'm like, whoa, 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 ease up turbo. You know, I've got to know as much as you want to work with me that I can work with you, right? Uh, you got to like the person that you're investing with. And you got to trust them. It's, it's all, it's very simple. It's simple business, but you know, making sure that you've vetted a person properly so you're not going to lose money. Um, we've all lost a little bit of money. We've all made mistakes and those mistakes help us grow. So, mate, what is the best piece of advice you can give to anyone who is sitting on the fence right now? They want to get off the fence and jump into to real estate. What's the first step they should take? I think the, we mentioned that, you know, the time, money, and knowledge, taking the self-account of what you have. I think 
that came from Gary Vaynerchuk. He said one of the three uh, keys to be an entrepreneur is that self-reflection uh, and, and taking into account what are your skills. So, you know, take a look at yourself, write it on the paper. How are you in terms of how much money do you have? And then how much knowledge or network do you have? And uh, how much time do you have on your hands? I mean, let's face it, if you have a family or you got a very um, heavy hourly um, day job, you won't, don't have the time for this stuff. And then find someone who kind of fits that mode, that who, who you should be going into. If it's a wholesaler, fine, go to a wholesaler and go to a mentoring group that does that. If it's a buy and hold person, fine. Yeah, find that buy and hold in person. I mean, it can be you. It can be simple passive cash flow. It can be anybody, you know. But like go into the right thing because the saddest thing is I see these guys, um, they have so much money and they're like computer engineers. I mean, me being from Seattle, I mean, I used to hang out with these guys all the time and they're going to flipping. I'm like, why the heck are you going into flipping? You know, I thought you said you're looking to, you know, you're looking to get away from your day job. You're just creating another one, right? <laughs> creating two day jobs, right? Right. <laughs> well, mate, I want to end the show by saying, you know, where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to email you. Where, they, where can you find your podcast uh, and any other great tools, tricks, and advice uh, for people out there who want to get in, in touch with you, Lane? Yeah, I can go to uh, simplepassivecashflow.com and look up on iTunes, Google Play, Simple Passive Cashflow. Uh, I've got a, I think I've got a pretty good baseline of uh, episodes on there and, and kind of do what I did, like just kind of piece together what you, you know, everybody's different messages. And uh, if you want to get a hold of me, my email is lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. And uh, if you guys want to sign up for the uh the email list. I will be sending out my uh, book, How to Buy a Turnkey Rental, in 2018. <laughs> and on uh, my analysis spreadsheets. Um, but yeah, everything is free out there. But um, if you're someone who's been on the fence, I mean, heck, just pay for mentoring. That's what I did for my apartment. Nice, and, man. Uh, best thing. Time is the most important thing. 100% dude. I completely agree. I think you, um, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. You've definitely provided us with some cracking advice on really just a whole slew of things that goes to show how, what, what you, I think the, the, the biggest takeaway for me is that you've spent time educating yourself. Uh, you're still working in a day job, but you also got the guts to go out and make it happen, which is really, really important. You've identified what you want to do. You're laser focused on it. Um, and, and I think that's, that, that speaks huge volumes to you as a character and an entrepreneur. Uh, and I know that you're going to be very, very successful. But, but one of the biggest things that I, I think, you know, time, money, network was the, one of the biggest things I took out of today's show. Um, did I leave anything out? Um, no, I think that's it. Um, I, yeah, so I want to probably point out that you probably get a lot of these emails from your listeners. And I think that's, that's ultimately what not, not a lot of people see is that that's kind of our motivation for doing this, right? Like, right. I mean, it's, I started 18 months building this website and then, then I got these intermittent emails and it's like, whoa, I didn't realize I was going to get this. And <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, keep hustling because you're doing a really, really awesome job. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on, dropping by and coming on today's show. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up soon, bud. Yeah. Talk to Eric.
Well, there you have it. Another cracking episode jam-packed with some awesome investing advice and actionable steps. Um, There's some great golden nuggets in there. So make sure you do check out the show notes and any uh, links that we did mention on today's show will be up on my website at reedgoosens.com. Please jump on those links and give uh, Lane a big g'day and uh, hit him up if you have any uh, questions or you just want to learn a little bit more about how to juggle a full-time job with uh, starting an empire, which is what he's, what he's doing. Thanks again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your real estate investing knowledge because that's what we're all about here on this show, continuing to grow your financial IQ. We're going to do this all again next week. So take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing.